I am very excited to announce that the Folly Coffee Hot Sauce Kickstarter has been successfully funded. We have created a new stretch goal with some awesome free rewards if we hit that stretch goal, as well as a brand new reward offering. Hint, Folly Coffee Barbecue Sauce. Check it out, follycoffee.com slash kickstarter. Don't wait. Hey, this is Rob, and this is episode 61 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right. That's quite the intro. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I have to point it out every time. It's my buddy Kai. I texted him, hey, I need an intro. He texted that back five minutes later. I was like, that is it. That's, That's our intro. perfect. Wow. Um, I really appreciate people that make me feel like I'm not very busy. And today, I am here with somebody that makes me feel like I am not that busy <laughs> at all. Sometimes when you follow somebody on Instagram... You're like, oh, they're clearly repurposing old pictures. There's no way they're traveling this much. There's no way they're on the road this much. Well, today I'm here with Alexis Gore, who I can promise you is actually on the road (laughs) pretty much all the time. So let's go through the old resume here. Professional wakeboarder. I actually did not know that upon meeting you. Uh, TV host, appearances on MTV, ESPN, Travel Channel, Vikings TV personality when we're in a non-COVID world. Correct. Uh, co-host of Made for the Outdoors and Destination Players. You're on CW Twin Cities, now the Minfluencers program. Uh, and the one I'm most curious about uh, that I think everybody wants to hear about is your uh, appearance on Two-Headed Shark Attack. <laughs> that's always that's always the one that people want. That has about. to be where the most people recognize you from, okay. right? I actually, I have to say, I did get recognized once for being in that movie. At the airport, some woman was like, are you in a shark movie? And I wanted to just be like, no. And I was like, yeah, I actually was. She's like, I knew it. I knew it. You were in the shark movie in the opening scene. And I was like, wow. Two-headed shark attack. Can we please treat this as its own separate story here? (laughs) How do you end up on 2012's release of Two-Headed Shark Attack? It's actually quite the story. Um, So funny enough, there was a a different pro wakeboarder who had been in this shark movie like a couple months previous. And I was like, I literally was staring at a friend in the face going, I would never, I don't care how much you pay me, ever be in a shark movie, you know, because I'm way too cool for this. That week, I'm walking down the aisle at Target in Orlando, Florida. I get a call. Hey, Alexa, um, we're looking for a wakeboarder to be in this movie. Would you be interested? Like, yep. How do I sign up? You know, I just like (laughs) didn't even think twice about it. Now I'm in a shark movie. So actually, they needed two female wakeboarders. So my sister was still wakeboarding at the time we go down we shoot um you know a couple days down in the florida keys and we're like all right we never tell anyone about this like we never tell anyone that we filmed this movie you know it'll never go anywhere Mm -hmm. six months later my cousin calls me and she's like i'm standing at the red box and um there's this movie and on the cover these two girls and it looks like you and tiff and i was like start panicking like hot flash i'm like hold on hold on hold on did you know you get on the google like image pops up me and my sister on the cover of this you didn't know you're on the cover (laughs) no well so it should be noted like there's some in 2012 there's some names in that movie i'm like yeah they're like some carmen electra and brooke hogan and yeah there was some you know some c-listers or whatever you want to call them (laughs) um but yeah it's it still plays on sci-fi channel every shark week like I've never watched the full movie, so I, I can't really fill you in How on could you not? Well, so are you telling me you haven't seen Five-Headed Shark or <laughs> Six-Headed Shark? So do you know that that exists? Well, I just yeah, found be- out like a couple months ago that they've made sequels to well, this Well, because I saw you post a picture of Two-Headed Shark, and I was like, oh, this must be like some weird inside joke with like Photoshop. And so I was like, well, I better double check it since I'm, I'm talking to her tomorrow. And I look it up, and I'm like... Oh, this is this movie was actually made. Has like a cult following. Yeah, is this pre uh, Sharknado? This is like right at the same time. Ah. Like the whole like shark, yeah, (laughs) craze. We'll call it the shark craze uh, was happening. I'm trying to think of. I can't remember the other movie that the other wakeboarder was in, but it was. Something that was really popular. I don't some think sort of com- com- combination of sharks and natural disasters Correct. of some sort. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I thought for sure when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is just like some weird joke I don't get. And you're like, no, two-headed shark. Yeah, spoiler alert, I do get eaten. 
<laughs> my sister and I. <laughs> That's why they needed to. I can't believe you just dropped that spoiler. I haven't had a chance to watch Sorry, it yet. Guys. So you don't appear in Five Headed Shark after that? <laughs> no. No, I don't come back. It's all over for me. That's a damn shame. I know. You and you I mean, what have you done since then? Really? You peaked. <laughs> right? I no, peaked in twenty twelve. But, but following you is like insane. Just the amount you do is impressive. And I'm curious how it all kind of started for you. How did you end up in the position you're in where you're literally like five or six hosting jobs and you're like splitting your time between different cities? How does one find themselves in that situation? What is your origin story? Well, it's never linear, right? Um, I grew up in a small town here in Minnesota, in Spicer, Minnesota, and grew up on the water, loved water skiing. I was a gymnast. So when I got introduced to wakeboarding, I was like, this is this is my jam, like my sister and her guy friends were wakeboarding one summer. She came home from college. They're wakeboarding. And I was like, yeah, this is me. Like, wakeboarding is my thing. So I got really into wakeboarding. Um, really, like, decided I wanted to be a professional wakeboarder. Did not know what that meant. Um, but I was going to do it. I wish someone would have told me to go into golf or something. But <laughs> I, I was dead set on wakeboarding. Um, and so when I was 16, was diagnosed with leukemia and uh, had, you know, a rough go with that and wasn't really sure what the prognosis for my lifespan was going to be so we didn't know how long I was going to live so I decided like when I started feeling a little bit better I was like I'm going to graduate high school early I'm moving to Florida I'm just going to wait for it how does that even hit you at 16 I can't even like the stuff I was worried about is like am I going to get my driver's license on the first try right. do like, I have a zit Can yeah see this yeah no, yeah. Does my makeup? How do I do my eyebrows? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, me girls. too. That was my biggest worry. <laughs> um, right. So I, you know, my parents got divorced when I was seven, and I had gone through some stuff as a as a very young child. So it th- those things actually kind of set me up for success when it came to leukemia. My I lived with my dad. It was just me and my dad, and he was, has no sympathy for anyone. So I wasn't really even allowed to feel sorry for myself. And so I was diagnosed with leukemia, and it was just like, all right, what's what's the next step? Like, let's go. What do Damn. we do? Like, horse with blinders on. Like, all right. And, I mean, I got really sick to the point where I was laying in bed, you know, trying to sleep for 20 to 22 hours a day and, like, could hardly walk because of bone pain, was on super heavy narcotics, lost a bunch, you know, ton of weight, no muscle, super weak. So there were certainly moments where I, like, I remember laying in bed at night and, like, being actually very concerned that I wasn't going to wake up the next morning or like that's a real thought you know going through your head so it's gets pretty serious and you get pretty real with yourself like you know those are pretty real thoughts when you're 16 but for me I was um luckily I was very stubborn (laughs) and uh and pretty tough at 16 so I just kept trudging forward like I didn't know how I was ever going to you know, be a healthy, active um, kid again. But I was like, I just have to get through the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, you know, without dying. That was the goal, right? Like just battle through these next few minutes and take it bit by bit. And that honestly slowly um, evolved into me feeling a lot better. And uh, by the time I was 17, I was like, all right, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting in the car. I'm driving to Orlando, Florida. I don't know anyone down there, but I'm going for it. My sister and I um, moved down there after I graduated high school early, and we couch surfed, and I just wakeboarded, and it was the best. (laughs) We had a lot of fun. (laughs) So when you head out for Orlando, why Orlando is that? So Orlando's like industry hub. Okay. It's it's like the Nashville to country music, right? It's like everyone's in Orlando. There are actually a ton of freshwater lakes in Orlando, which a lot of people don't know. Um, and when I say Orlando, of course, I'm not talking about Kissimmee, which has Disney and mm-hmm. the parks. and Because that that's kind of, I think, what the average person like myself would be like. Of course, that's what, you know, you associate it with. Because that Disneyland wakeboarding team, though. <laughs> it's insane. So, yes, Orlando actually has its own stuff going on. It is its own city with its own culture. <laughs> um, it's not just, yeah, the mouse. But, um, so, yeah, that's why I decided Orlando. Um, and went down there and I started networking and Um, Ended up, you know, meeting a lot of people in the industry. It happened really fast and ended up going to school down there. I went to UCF, University of Central Florida. Um, And long story short, ended up um, writing my first professional contest on my 21st birthday. Um, So I had 
like, you know, after gaining sponsors and meeting people and working, I actually worked on the pro tour for a couple of years before riding on it. So it was, I took a much different path to professional wakeboarding than the other girls who had like been competing their whole lives since they were seven, eight, nine, what's you know, a, what's the training like for professional wakeboarding? Well, you know, unfortunately when I, when my sister and I first moved to Orlando, <laughs> gas was $5 a gallon. <laughs> so Solid. like, yeah. So when you're trying to take, you know, two to three wakeboard sets a day, that adds up, you know, you're giving someone a five gallon, like the, the courtesy thing is like you bring five gallons of gas if you're riding on someone else's boat. So, um, I actually didn't get to train that much, but I went to the cable park and started riding park because that was so much less expensive and so much more reasonable. So I got a season pass at the, the cable park. Which I would assume is, the cable park is the thing I'm picturing where you're getting pulled by a cable, like up the jumps and all that. Yep. Okay. So, yep. It's like a, um, a, most of the time in a man made lake and there's a cable that goes in a circle and it's rails and jumps. Um, and that obviously you don't need a boat, you don't need gas, you don't need someone to pull you, you know, it's just much easier and much more reasonable and less expensive. So I started doing that a bunch um, and then wakeboarding behind the boat when I could, like when I could afford it. And so I really was not training properly to be riding on the pro tour, but I did it and it was like, it worked out. It was great. But, you know, taking probably like, I was probably doing like four to five wakeboard sets a week versus most people were doing a couple a day at least. So what was it like after your first competition? Um, you know, wakeboarding was never, like, a competitive thing for me. It's weird because I am, like, or was not as competitive anymore, but was, like, insanely competitive growing up. Like, dodgeball, you know, in gym class. Like, I am going for it. Like, I will win. I will crush you. You know, like. If they didn't want to get hit in the head, then why are you in the game? I don't <laughs> exactly. get it. What are, you, what are we talking about here? Exactly. Like, you name it, I was competitive. But wakeboarding for me was always more of, like, an expression and, like, um an expression of style and emotion. And so competing was never really like that fun for me because I don't like training and doing the same five tricks over and over and over and over again. Like that's not the point of the sport of wakeboarding. So competing for me, you know, it was an honor and it was, it was really amazing to be able to travel the world and compete, but it wasn't my favorite aspect of wakeboarding for sure. Like creating content, um, you know, taking shooting photos and shooting videos that's that's way more fun or just free riding with your friends like that's way more fun than competing for sure or training to compete and so you're traveling the world doing this because i'm like i'm so far removed from that world like i tried wakeboarding when i was younger (laughs) and much heavier as a football player and they were like these boats aren't designed to pull this right now and i was like all right this isn't my thing i get it i'll watch so my mind is so far removed from the wakeboarding world. What are these competitions like when you're traveling the world? Like, what are the settings? What are the parameters? Yeah, like, there, how many people are involved? There are a lot of different formats. Um, obviously, like, there's a boat. There's boat-style contests, so where you're wakeboarding behind the boat. And then there's these park contests. And those are more prevalent um, in Europe. So there are, like, hundreds and hundreds of cable parks throughout, like, Germany, France, um, Austria, like that area, there are just cable parks everywhere. Um, Spain, there are a handful of cable parks. Um, and then, you know, there is a lot of wakeboarding in Asia. There's a cable park in the Philippines, like wakeboard in Bali. Uh, and then Australia has a big scene as well. So, yes, it is international. Um, and, you know, some of these contests are like it's an action sports festival in France, um, fees, and there are. 50 to 100,000 people watching. Like, it's on this river yeah. in this city in France. Yeah. Um, so there are just a number of different formats, and, it, and it's kind of all over the place, And which is why it's a relatively, like, small sport because it's, like, not just one thing, right? It's a bunch of different formats and, and different styles and, and different sanctioning groups and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's crazy, you know wakeboarding at the base of a volcano in the Philippines. <laughs> like, that's wild, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like uh, again, so far removed from my brain, I'm like, I, I'm trying to picture it, and I'm just, I can only picture, like, movies and stuff. I'll send you some photos. That's crazy. <laughs> and so you're traveling the world. It's Competition isn't so much your jam, but I imagine traveling the world had to have been an amazing experience oh of gosh. just being able to see everything. And you're sponsored, in theory, so you're like, Oh, traveling for free. For? Oh, yeah, damn. totally. Um, I wouldn't have, you know, had the money to just travel year-round and and do all that stuff. So, yeah, Um, wakeboarding, it's kind of tough to get rich as a female wakeboarding or extremely tough. Um, 
but it's more of like the value of those experiences yeah. and the value of all that. I mean, not many people have that opportunity to travel for free and have the time to do it. Um, and you so like you hit the pinnacle of a wakeboarding career by ending up in two headed sharks. Like that's <laughs> exactly. doesn't like that's kind of the end goal when you get started in something like right, that. You go, yeah. I want to be in a shark based wakeboarding movie. Correct. And that's all I want to do. Correct. And so yeah, after twenty twelve I just threw in the towel. Right. <laughs> said, I, I, I did it. I, there, I did it. There's no more to accomplish. I'm a Hall of Famer now. How do you find yourself from traveling the world as a wakeboarder to like, see, most people, it's like one thing I'm talking to them about. I'm like, how did you end up going from here to doing the thing you do now? Right. And for you, I'm like, how did you go from that to now the nine things I just listed when we just started? Right. Well, and that's what, why I say, you know, it really is not linear. Um, so I actually... Got a degree in finance from UCF. Most people are. That was my guess. <laughs> surprised to hear that. Um, so when I was kind of like transitioning out of wakeboarding, I needed to pay the bills. Um, and so I got into, I was actually doing like some commercial real estate, which is random, but it was allowing, it was really flexible and allowing me to like make good money when I was in Orlando, then travel for four weeks and do whatever. So it was this interesting um, scenario, but it got to a point where I knew as much fun as commercial real estate was and traveling to wakeboard, like I needed a change. Like that wasn't the end game. Um, so, and I was ready to get out of Orlando. I had always been passionate about TV and broadcasting, but never really had the balls to like go for it. Um, as, and people are always like surprised to hear that because I, you know, packed my stuff up, moved to Orlando, pursued that and did all this other stuff. But for some reason I had this like block to like going for it in TV. And I think, the biggest thing was I didn't have any formal training. Like, why me? You know, why would I make it in television and not someone coming out of broadcasting school or, or whatnot? But it got to a point where I was like, you know, either I do this right now and I try it or I just have to throw in the towel and never go for it again and regret it for the rest of my life. So I um, threw together a demo reel. And at this time I had been on, you know, an MTV series um wake brothers i had done some stuff with travel channel i had done um the the movie and i did i was in a couple commercials and stuff but that was stuff that was like fell into my lap i did not pursue any of so that by stuff being, being a professional wakeboarder right. they're like those we are, need a professional wakeboarder yep okay um so those types of opportunities so i threw together this demo reel obviously including that but then i went out and like pretended to broadcast or pretended to like host tv shows and whatever which you know seems silly but how else are you gonna put a demo reel together yeah. you know if you haven't done it it's the you know the chicken before the egg thing so i i throw this demo reel together and i actually um i had this one follower on instagram who i didn't know personally but i knew like he was a wakeboard fan and i knew he made videos and so i was like reached out to him and i was like hey um would you mind throwing together a demo reel for me and he's like, why? Oh, I didn't know you were trying to get into television. I was like, yeah, I'm really, you know, I this has always been a dream of mine. I'm really trying to get into it. And he's like, oh, um, funny. I actually run all the media for the Timberwolves, and my best friend runs all the media for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think they're looking for a female. I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> like one of those moments where like, so glad I called that guy, you know? like, <laughs> But so – Prior to this, I had for probably two years emailed, called, sent letters, um, every single person that you could think of in TV. Uh, obviously, people I don't know. So people in Florida, in the news, who work for sports teams, people in Minnesota, you know, people working for newspapers, just anyone that I could try to get into media, I emailed and called them. And I got a total range of responses um a lot of them not very nice to be honest um which was like you know it hurts the ego but um one person that did respond was um boyd uh huppert or hubert he works for care 11 he hosts this um series called land of Ten Thousand stories mm -hmm. he does these really great stories on sunday nights and he was like hey why don't you come in and we'll chat and so i was in minnesota at the time and went into the studio and he's like showed me around he's like you know, I don't, we don't have a new job for you here, but, um, you know, I'd love to introduce you to my friends over at Ron Shera Productions. They do a lot of outdoors TV shows, um, just good people to know. So I went and introduced myself to them, set up a meeting and they're like, Hey, we don't have a job for you now, but we'll keep you in mind. So a year passes, then all this, you know, 
I make this demo reel and, and this guy on Instagram says this thing. In the same week, I got a call from Ron Chair Productions saying, hey, we don't have a full-time gig, but we have a part-time gig. Would you ever consider moving back to Minnesota? And then the Minnesota Vikings called and said, hey, we don't have a full-time gig, but we have a part-time gig. Would you ever consider moving back to Minnesota? And it was like, I guess I'm going home. Like, I guess I'm going back to Minnesota. I've got to at least try this. So um, after two years of, like, pounding down doors, I got two opportunities in the same week to come back to Minnesota. And um, the rest is history. <laughs> no, um, And so – yeah, I came back. I worked for the Vikings for two years. I now host two shows for Ron Share Productions. It started as one show. Now two shows. Um, a year after I moved back, there was like an open casting for the CW. I like went to the Mall of America and like did this like open casting, and they like pretty much hired me right on the spot. Like, yeah, you're in. Um, so I'm We're a part get of back to that. The, the CW crew. It's myself, John Foss, and uh, DJ Bonix, who's Wiz Khalifa's DJ. Mm-hmm. We're the three personalities um, on the CW. We do a bunch of different stuff for them. So that came later, and everything just kind of fell into place. I mean, I came here having a couple part-time gigs and it has turned into just, as you said, you know, uh, when you start to be able to turn things down, you know you're busy, right? Like, when, like I literally don't have time to shoot that commercial or well, do then that. My follow-up question is, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got to splash some fun in there sometimes. We I mean, have to give back to the people every once in a while. <laughs> oh, this is, I'm putting this on my resume. It's like charity yeah. hours. Yeah, this is all Within the Minnesota high-end specialty <laughs> coffee podcast, it's definitely a top five. Uh, but here's what's sick about that is like, okay, so what was it like going from no like professional experience, you're literally kind of making up a demo, to mm-hmm. all of a sudden having two hosting gigs that couldn't be more radically different? Yeah. In terms of like the outdoor shows are like always on the go. You're always doing a lot of activity. It's like very like spontaneous kind of uh, activity happening yep. versus something like uh, the other format where it's much more traditional, like behind a mic in front of a camera. Yeah. Is there any training that happens when you get through the door? <laughs> Honestly, when I showed up at the Vikings, they were like, here's a microphone. Go for it. <laughs> it was like, like literally, I'm like, really? Like, you, you trust me? Like, okay. So it was, it was more of like, um, really, well, one of the things that I think those, those groups saw in me and they really allowed me to do that I'm grateful for is be myself. So like, when when I'm on camera, it's not Alexa through a filter. It's not, you know, Alexa through training. Mm-hmm. This is what he's coming out the other end. It's like, that's me with a microphone. Um, and, you know, I've obviously changed some bad habits. Like, you know, we all have these, like, little nuances or, like, little strange habits that we do when we speak in public. And so I've, you know, tried to clean up a couple of the rough edges. But um, I really, I'm, like... I'm sure commenters don't point those out ever. <laughs> yeah. I... I uh, honestly just kind of showed up and was able to be myself and kind of create my own role there and like what I wanted it to be and with the Vikings that evolved into doing some more lifestyle stuff and really having my own series on game days um, which was really 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 fun obviously that's not happening this year because there are no fans at the games or very few Um, and then on the other side of, of things, COVID, not because of the record. Cor- correct, correct. <laughs> I mean, I'm well, not hopefully someone's I'm not listening to this yet. a couple of years from now and is like, wow, the Vikings really bad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way. Hard to believe. Um, and then, yeah, on the other side of things, I mean, these outdoor shows, um, the biggest thing for me was, so these shows I, I produce, I direct when I'm on site, and then I script the show. So I write the show when I get back. And so that's something that I'd never done, <laughs> written a television show. Like, okay, that's a fast learning curve, you know, and then it's on TV in a couple of weeks. So for that, you know, it's not only hosting and doing it and making sure your on-camera presence is, you know, entertaining, but then it's putting together an entertaining piece after the fact as well. So, um, I mean, there's no better way to learn than just getting thrown into the fire and doing it, you know? And then obviously, um, one thing that has been really important to me is I have been so open to criticism and um, suggestions, help, advice, you know, because I knew coming in I wasn't trained. So it's like, tell me. Let me know, you know, what I could be doing better or what I could change or what you think. And so that's been a real... um, asset for me is just 
being super open to other people's suggestions or even people that see a show on TV and they're like, you know, I would have done something a little differently. I'm not offended by that, even if it's, you know, it's just a friend, you know, someone who doesn't work in the industry, but I value their opinion. And I'm like, yeah, great. I'll take it, you know, I'll take that into account. That's what I tell sure. Jeff all the time. I'm like, hey, Jeff, if you ever see something I could be doing better, I have no idea what I'm doing. This, <laughs> this is all completely made up. Like, if I'm doing something, it's the first time I've ever done it. So let me know if we could do it better because I would actually appreciate that. But that was what happened when I reached out to you is like, we're opening the tasting and tour room. And I'm like, I go, I need people to figure out about this. And I, how does PR work? And I kind of done like one press release before and mm-hmm. a couple people picked it up when we first launched and with this one I'm like how do I like I need to reach people because I actually need people to show up for the first time ever right and so I just started I did the formal press release and that got some a little bit of traction but I just was like wait I follow Alexis score she does like eight different shows <laughs> and I'm pretty sure she's on the CW I want and so that's how we met and yep. I was honestly very surprised you responded and then when you showed up it was just like at the end of that filming it was very uh I was like I actually had fun like that was actually a good time for well, so, good. sometimes people come in and you get this air of like, Oh, I feel like I, sh-, especially cause me and Jeff are always acting like idiots. I go, <laughs> I feel like we should be more professional. Like we should have tightened it up a little bit. Yeah. No. You know, those kind of feelings or, or that, Oh, I can't believe I'm here right now or whatever. And, and that was not at all the feeling I got when you came in. It was like, Oh, that was actually really fun. And that was a good time. Well, and, I appreciate that. And I think it is a almost I don't know if you call it an advantage, but not having the formal training. Uh, my my buddy in college used to always do this impression of he hated sports commentators mm-hmm. and the sideline reporters, the way you finish, uh, especially ESPN, where you go, ESPN. So you're like, hi, uh, this, this is Rob Bath with ESPN. And he's like, who taught that? <laughs> right. Who right. taught to finish it in that exact cadence? And, <laughs> right. and now I can't not notice not, that. Yeah. Are, totally. the, are these things, do they give you tips on things like that? Or do you think it's just people picking it up as they watch? You know, I don't know if, you know, what, I don't, I don't know what kind of training these other people get, you know, when they arrive somewhere. But I think we all kind of revert to these like weird habits or like our safety, like send offs and stuff. Like if you're doing a live interview, it's like you're thinking about a lot of things. Someone's talking to you in your ear. You know, sometimes you just kind of like, spit out what you know and like what you've said a million times before but um like you said I mean I think it's an uh has been a very valuable advantage for me not to have been trained and I think that's what these organizations saw in me too like oh yeah she gets on camera and she's professional and she gets the job done and she works hard that's something I should probably mention like yes I'm not trained but like all of these groups know that I work hard and I take it seriously, but I can still have fun on camera. And I think that's the biggest thing is like having that balance of like, yeah, this is still a job and I want to make really, really good product. And I'm very, very passionate and like proud of the work I do. So it's going to be a good product, but I'm going to have fun while I do it. And I think that's the best way to get the best product. Right. And I want people around me to have fun. Like the past couple shows that I filmed for Destination Polaris, people are like the people that we ride with are like, that was just fun. Like that was a lot of fun. You know, I'm like, Nobody great, that's to what watch it should something be. Where somebody's bored. Yeah, like, if totally. You, if you're doing something that you find boring, why would somebody want to watch it if it's boring to you? Exactly. And so that's where it's like obviously there are certain things that we have to do that aren't that exciting. We have to shoot the same shot 15 times or or stuff like that, but uh, you know, if you can inject fun and have fun through the process, it just turns out so much better at the end. And not taking yourself too seriously. Like yeah, I'm on TV, I host a bunch of shows, but like, you know, I trip over my shoelaces every now and then. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. my fly's down sometimes, you I know? Really, like, we're all just humans. I so. really enjoyed that sentence. Yeah, I'm on TV. Yeah, I host a bunch of shows, but you know what? I'm just like you. Like, that sentence alone, don't worry, I won't I won't place that on its own edit. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Just, just like us. <laughs> There's not us and me and them. I'm just saying. I know. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. But I do want to talk about what an open casting is like for the CW. Oh, my gosh. Because sometimes I see these commercials and I go, how could somebody do that? Like, you see this with, like, the Vikings. We'll do, like, open tryouts. And you go, okay, this is more or less just kind of a public outreach, kind of like a fluff piece. And then right. every once in a while, there's an Adam Thielen. Right. And, but, but very rare. Once ever. Yes. And so sometimes I see these open castings for the Vikings. I go, this makes sense. This is, like, 
outreach. It's kind of fun. It gets you more involved with your community, your Minnesotans. But when somebody like the CW is like, we're doing an open casting, we need a host. I'm like, uh, what's the people watching like at the open oh. casting? It's got to be pretty fantastic. Oh, it it was very, very funny. How many, how, how many people show up for something like well, a it was CW like, Open? So it's at the Mall of America, like just right. to make things better. Yeah, like, venues, <laughs> check. Yeah. I'm in. Just like in that big rotunda at the Mall of America and just, you know, the motliest crew in line. I mean, people who are just walking by and they're in their pajamas and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to try out for the CW. And then there's someone in a suit with a resume and it's, you know, it's just the whole spectrum of of us humans are in line at the gas open gas tank for the CW. Um, so it was funny and interesting. You know, I think when I showed up, they were like, you're a little like overqualified. You're, you know, like you're a little <laughs> overqualified to just be like standing in line here, but I don't have an issue doing that. And it's funny cause I actually didn't see it. I had a girlfriend like, Hey, you should go to this thing. I was like, like, yeah, I only have two jobs right now. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it sounds cool. I, some of my friends from home are always like, so how many jobs do you have? Like, I'll, you know, I go back to Spicer every couple months. They're like, all right, what's the job count at? Like, what's the new job? There's always a new job. Um, and I don't ever lose jobs. I just keep adding more. But, um, yeah, it was a very, very funny, interesting experience. But like I said, they kind of, like, right on spot were like, yeah, well, we'll be calling you, you know. And, and that's the interesting thing is I think uh, outwardly facing or public facing, jobs like you have, people go, <laughs> Well, I mean, anybody could do that. Like it's, she's getting a four wheel and do this and yeah. that and this and it's true. That stuff is fun. But see, seeing the back end of it, even just coming in and filming the coffee piece, that took all morning. Oh yeah, and it'll be a piece that definitely won't be longer than I'm, a few minutes. Yeah, probably. yeah, five and a half minutes long. And so when you think of all the production takes, it takes the to get the right shot. You have to have kind of some sort of a timeline to cram all of this filming into a few minutes. And then you multiply that by three different jobs that are all different <laughs> formats and right. having to do that is like, it's a lot of work. And that's what was fascinating to me is like seeing how different the roles you're in. Right. And every day it pops up. You're like, I'm like, how, was she in Florida today? Like she was just here yesterday. What, <laughs> yeah. What's it like traveling? How do you, I'm, I would ask what's your average week like, but I assume that's kind of a stupid question, yeah. but how do you right. manage your time between the three different roles? So it's kind of funny. It's a blessing and a curse, but I am like extremely type A and extremely type B. Like I am organized, like so organized. My calendar is like, to you know, I'm not like Kirk Cousins scheduling it down to like the half minute or anything, <laughs> but like he's a very, he's more organized than me. But I just, I stay super organized. I like visualize my schedule in my head. I'm always like doing my own schedule. I don't have, you know, I have a, an agent who helps me with stuff, but I don't have a manager because I like need to be hands on in like rearranging my schedule and making it all work. Um, but it's certainly, it is a challenge at times. And when you're mentioning, you know, the, the diversity and how different my jobs are, it does create a challenge where like, if I was just doing one thing, I would be getting, you know, I'd be extremely efficient and be getting a lot better at that faster than, you know, I'm doing like four very, very different um, styles of TV. And so that's where it is challenging because, you know, you're trying to get better at all four of these things. It's going to take more time than if you're just focused on one. You know, I would imagine getting better at all four has to make you better in other. Like, there's got to be some like some cross pollination of styles right. and everything that does make it unique in the other one. Because I, I I find that like I think in business hyper specialization of roles is really good in terms of strategy. Mm -hmm. But when I do that, I get burnout really fast. Well, that's the other thing, right? And so I love to be busy. Like, if I'm not busy, I don't feel fulfilled. Like, I. I I, I need to be working towards something at all times. Some people say that's a problem. I say that's how I live. I don't yeah. get people who don't work yeah, like that. Right? I'm like, I need to be doing something. Like, give me a crossword puzzle. I need to finish that. I'll do anything except for just sit. Um, but, you know, burnout is certainly something that I don't really encounter because it is changing it up every day and a new challenge and, and doing different things that, at, you know, kind of all at once. So that is a, a benefit, too, of being kind of – 
um, diversified, we'll call it. Is it something like, so burnout to me, someone like you, I go, I, it confounds me. I go, how does she not burn out? It's insane. The amount of work you put into a week is burnout something you actively address. And you're like, these are the things I do to avoid burnout. Or do you think it is what you just said that it's just, you're doing so many different things that it just doesn't, it doesn't occur. Um, you know, I think for me, like honestly working out is probably the biggest thing that like clears my mind and like completely you know resets um um, my day I guess or you know any of the stresses that are going on so there are certain things that I kind of do to try to um turn it off for a little bit but I think I'm just used to being super busy and like I prefer it that way and when I've not been super busy um I know that I'm not as happy as when I'm busy so it's it's you know just kind of keeping in mind like I'm busy and this is how I like it like you know, because it'd be easy to be like, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed. There's all this stuff. I have all these deadlines. And it's like remembering like, no, there's a reason you're this busy. You're choosing <laughs> to be this busy and you like this. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you you're like the one this. that made these deadlines. Yes, exactly. So like, if you're complaining, that's kind of your own damn fault. Exactly. Like you signed up for this and this is, you know, again, like there is a certain amount of stress that's healthy for people. Like it's what gets us up in the morning. It's what lights a fire in our butts. Like no stress is no you know, nothing's getting done. There's no progression. There's no growth. Like there is an amount of stress, stress that's like very, very healthy. I think. I, I, I think the same thing about anxiety. <laughs> so <Yeah>. anxiety, <laughs> the way I phrase it is anxiety is a really bad brand right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's totally. Like, it's like, everybody's like, I can't be anxious ever. And I'm like, if you're not anxious about anything there you're probably not headed towards something correct and nothing would ever get done nothing if would nobody get done. was ever not anxious totally. and so, <laughs> I, like i'll say it sometimes of like anxiety levels are high today and it's like oh my god are you okay it's like yeah because i was the one that, i'm the one creating it right <laughs> and like, well and again like you said like you know when the caveman was like sleeping at night he was a little anxious that he was going to get eaten by a tiger you know like and if he wasn't then he wouldn't be looking out for himself and he wouldn't be working to keep himself safe it's like there are reasons for anxiety and stress and obviously there's a point when it becomes unhealthy if we can't manage and keep it under you know a certain ceiling or a certain line but they're very necessary to get stuff done like you need that healthy amount of stress and anxiety to Move yeah, forward. I forgot what book I, I was reading. I think it was called the subtle the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Oh, have you heard of this book? I've heard of this book, but I've not read it myself. <sighs> the one major takeaway, and that's actually what the book is called. This is not me being rad or cool by swearing, um, but <laughs> but you know it's one of those catchy book titles. That yeah, they clearly course. did it to get the tag you in. But the the big thing in that book, if I'm remembering correctly, is that there will absolutely always be problems, and you will never not have problems. But the goal is to create good problems. And sure. so that's how I view things is like, especially when it gets really busy is like, these are good problems to have. Like, yeah. I like having these problems. If I have to say no to something and I feel bad about it, that's a good problem to have. Right. And, totally. And so I have to imagine it's somewhat similar with what you're doing is like the things you're saying no to are probably pretty damn cool. Totally. And like the problems in my life are like, how am I going to get the script done? I leave for this trip in, in a two days, you know, like, oh, what was me? Like, you know. But you can get sucked into that and it can become a stress that really actually affects you. But then when you look at like what what is the real problem here? Like the problem it's not that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like stay up, drink some coffee, you know, hammer out the script and then go have this great, you know, trip and film and do it all again. Do the next thing. It's it's interesting, you know, the word problem to me, um, I have a friend who works for SpaceX. He's um an engineer at SpaceX. We actually went to college together and he was we were both for a short amount of time on the Wait, so what you're saying is your friend's a rocket scientist. Yeah, but not just like any rocket scientist. So he is one of two people. So they call them problems in in the um, aerospace world. And his problem is getting humans to Mars. So he is in charge. <laughs> That's his problem. <laughs> Again, another great <laughs> sentence coming from Alexis Corey here today. <laughs> so he's a great friend of mine. He's like the guy who like hits the button and then goes, you know, like the rocket launches up in the air. But his problem at SpaceX, he's one of two guys, like, he's in charge of getting people to Mars. So his problem that he has to figure out is, like, getting people to Mars. And, like, that's probably a very stressful problem. (laughs) (laughs) I can't – I've never had that problem. Um, But, like, when you look at it, like, oh, yeah, like, oh, I have this problem that's going to change humanity if I figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, it's stressful, but it's also, like – 
a good problem to have. Like you are making progress. You are changing like the history books, like his name's going to be stamped, you know, on the history books. Like it's look at it however you want. Like that's a huge problem, but it's a great problem to have. Like the fact that we're even considering that problem, the fact that we're even taking that problem on, you know what I mean? So you can look at a problem in many different ways. That's, yeah. See, just trying to wrap my brain around that of like, I'm trying to picture, I I, I can't because I've never been remotely close to that level of a problem. Like, what would it actually be like to be considering that? And here's the funny thing about how the human brain works is I feel like if you got to that point, it's like you said earlier, that's like a lot of times it's it's like, it's not, it doesn't all happen at once. It's like kind of small things or like linear steps or yep. whatever, or not linear, whatever. I don't know. But each thing comes along and you kind of get used to that. Okay. I'm making this decision now. I'm not, I'm making this decision now. And then at some point in his career, the decision was like, what do we do to get someone to Mars? And it's probably like just a little bit of a step up from the previous decision right. on the day before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> whereas for us, it's like, oh man, this high altitude Kenyan we got for the winer. Uh, this acidity <laughs> is just not shining through like that sample we roasted. How do we get right. this? And so in the weird way the brain works, we're probably had the same amount of stress right. and anxiety right. about us trying to get the acidity out of this new Kenyan coffee we got <laughs> as he feels about Mars. And yeah. that, that makes it weird uh, when people like want to discredit people's anxiety or stress about something because it is so radically different. But that's how I view everything. I'm like, everybody's dealing with their own stuff and you can't really ever compare stuff no, in a way measure it like there's no way to measure that based on like how important is your problem versus my problem you're still feeling yeah the same exact um effects of the stress on your body like and, and yeah. like you've created the good problems that you have right like th- there are certain things that like yeah luck plays into it but you're like oh i got super lucky that this person i dm'd on instagram happened to know about these two rules opening up but you also casually mentioned after that that I'd been messaging everyone I could for an entire year. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, sometimes there's a stroke of luck, but you set yourself up for that luck, right? Like you are unlucky 99 times, <laughs> you know, and then, yeah. and then you're lucky once, you know. it's um, There's some Hemingway quote in my favorite book is Old Man in the Sea, and I forget what it is, but um, it's better – I like something like it's better to be um, prepared than lucky because then when luck strikes, you're ready. Or there, it's oh. something interesting that's really good about like, you know, you essentially saying like you really do, you have to be ready if luck strikes. Like yeah. you can't just be completely unprepared. Then it doesn't matter what happens to you. Um, you know, you got to be ready to fulfill your role if you get the job with the vikings you got to be you know what i mean it's it's the same way that anxiety is a bad brand i think overthinking also has a bad (laughs) brand right now i go well if i've tried to think about everything then there's probably not an outcome i haven't considered right right (laughs) no absolutely um and going back one thing that i think makes the anxiety thing worse for people is a lot of these problems we look at A to Z. Like, how am I going to get to Z? And sometimes, like, the the solution to the problem seems so far away. What they don't realize is, like, that's not the problem we figure out today. Like, what we figure out today is how to get from A to B. Like, how do I set, how do I set myself in that direction? Like, I think about when I was, you know, laying in bed with leukemia. I, I remember, you know... I wasn't even strong enough to stand in the shower. Like I had to sit in the shower. I remember trying to like, I I always tried to go to school for at least 30 minutes, like every single day because I'm extremely stubborn, but not being able to brush, like having the energy to brush my hair. Like I couldn't even hold my arms up. And like thinking about that and like, I still wanted to be a professional wakeboarder, but if at that moment I would have thought like, how am I ever going to be a strong, you know, professional athlete? Like, it would have been so overwhelming that no one would be able to handle that. All I all I could focus on is like, how am I going to get myself into sweatpants and get myself to school? You know, like that's the that's today's problem and that's the, the solution. You know, it's like these small solutions that lead you to getting to Mars. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. like, how overwhelming would that be if someone like gave you a pen and was like, okay, figure out how to get people to Mars. Like the solution isn't just like one answer. It's this whole sequence of answers that we have to do but it's like keeping the the z in mind but really focusing on like okay now i'm at b how do i get to c or how do i you know point myself in the right direction i think 
people get overwhelmed because they they look too big picture and they're so focused on the end goal that they don't realize like it's a sequence of really small and if if you were to tell somebody what your vision for a to z is people would be like you're delusional right well exactly you're out of your damn mind oh my gosh when i told people i wanted to be professional wakeboard it was like dude we're in spicer like a half these people like don't know what wakeboarding is (laughs) like you know like whatever like thousand my hometown's a thousand people it's like farmers and and you know my tv has to be somewhat the same that's another thing that you're like like, you're you're okay so no (laughs) no no background in it yeah no training (laughs) in it no schooling in it yeah you're a professional wakeboarder you were on two-headed sharks i'll give you that (laughs) but you're gonna okay you're gonna get to tv sure and and that's why it was so scary like i think we're all scared to fail and scared to have people like judge us and be like that'll never work you know so it's it's terrifying and it was scary for me as as strong and for as how much I really don't care what people think like those things still do affect you that pressure and and you know wanting to succeed so bad so for sure like it was the same thing with tv I didn't want to really tell anyone that I was trying because (laughs) you know you don't want to fail and you don't want people to be like yeah right feels a lot better when you actually do it though yeah, I just had um, Kamal on. He's the owner of Nashville Coop. They's, they just opened up, and they're okay. exploding, lying out the door every single day. Amazing. And he, he has this amazing way of looking at it. He's like, you don't get no's and get, like, dejected about it. He's like, you collect no's. He's like, <laughs> right, I, that's he's the like I earn these right. no's. He's like, I, so in my head, I'm just like, if I get to nine no's, I should get a yes. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that is beautiful. And you got to like, throw them out at the wall. That honestly energized me after I heard that because I, I had just gotten a huge no right before we had talked, like, recently. And I was uh-huh. like, oh. And it was like really hurt and he was, he said that i was like well i collected a big note <laughs> so hopefully someday <laughs> this right. leads to a big like yes four small notes yeah, like, this yeah. Is a big one um well, i used to speak to high school students a lot and one of the biggest things that i hear from them is like well so-and-so said i couldn't do it so-and-so said i couldn't do it so and i i can relate to that but one thing that i have to tell them is like you know we're all different but do you know how hard it is when everyone actually does believe in you? The amount of pressure. Like when no one believes that you're going to do something, there's really no pressure. Like there's no there's no pressure to fail because no one believes that you're going to actually do it anyways. When everyone believes you're going to do something, that's a lot of pressure. Because then if you fail, everyone thought you were going to do it. And it's like, ooh, like, oh. That's all, that it. also sucks. So like for me, like for me, I've always thrived being the underdog. It's because like it's all blue sky, right? Like for my life and this could be metaphoric you know in many ways like I still don't know how long I'm going to live because I'm still living with leukemia so it's kind of like everything that I accomplish is like just a bonus right and so I've kind of always been the underdog in that sense and and these crazy goals that I have had and some I've you know accomplished but I thrive being the underdog versus like getting everything handed to you or everyone supporting you or everyone you know believing that you're going to do something that's a lot of pressure so it's you know sometimes when we're bummed that someone said we couldn't do it like well what if they were like oh yeah you'll do that for sure like no worries like that's a lot of pressure to to then succeed and the the way i like to look at that is also the length of time you do something is any person who's attempting what you're trying to attempt is also getting the same feedback from similar types of people that are like you shouldn't do this right most people the broad majority of them like 95%, let's say, totally arbitrary number, but they're going to get the, you shouldn't do this and they'll never start. And then you're down to this 5% of people who are stupid or crazy or delusional enough to start. (laughs) And then they're going to start getting no's. And over time, if you keep doing it, you're going to get better. And then also the other people doing it are also going to eventually succumb to the people that are saying you shouldn't do this. And it's like you, the the over, the definition of like overnight success is I've never heard a story of an overnight success where they started it that day. Right. And it's always the person saying like, I don't know. People are telling me I'm an overnight success and I feel like I've been working at this for years and years and years and years. Right. And so that's like trying to keep those things in mind where you're like, you want the end goal and you want to be thinking big, but the A to B, I really like putting it that way. Yeah. Taking it in small bites. You know, I think there's an old teacher saying, it's like, how do you eat an entire elephant? One bite at a time, you know, like <laughs> really corny, but you know, you have to really break stuff down. And I think, um, I just thought of this, one of the, 
I heard, you know, the 1980 Olympic hockey team when they beat the Russians, when USA beat the Russians in yeah, Minnesota, hockey. everybody's yeah. kind okay. of a religion. Just, I'm just making sure everyone's with me here. <laughs> um, I heard, um, I believe it was Mike Ruzioni, one of the guys um, on the team, and he's like, you know what? Like, everyone's saying this is a miracle. Like, we worked our asses off. Like, what? This isn't a miracle. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, of course it was this, like, amazing upset, but it wasn't luck. Like, they did work really hard to be the best team that they possibly could be, and you know what I mean? It wasn't just, like, again, it wasn't an overnight success. Like, you know, we saw it mm-hmm. as this miracle, but really they worked really hard. <laughs> when they don't write movies about not underdogs. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Like, come on, this makes a better story. Yeah, of course. But, you know, it's like even things, you know, yeah, when you see on surface level that, you know, maybe it seems like someone got really lucky to get in that role. Well, A, you don't know how many times they've been said no or how hard they work to get themselves in that position mm-hmm. to be ready when luck strikes. So looking at where you're at now, mm-hmm. obviously you accomplished a lot. Obviously, like doing a lot. Are there ideas you have in your brain now where you go, people would think I'm delusional if I told them that this is <laughs> this is my Z as I stand here today? You don't have to say what there. You're welcome to. You know, f- things kind of evolved so quickly for me into getting into where I am now that I've really focused on like making, instead of like trying to jump to the next thing, like really focusing on making the best work that I'm doing right now like making the best television shows that I can right now um, making sure that I like um, hone that craft before I jump into something new Um, so that's been really important to me also you know with like the changing landscape of media and COVID it's hard to like really set your sights on it's a moving target Mm -hmm. right like what is even going to a year from now what is even going to be available who's actually going to be working what are the positions that are going to be there so I don't have a Z that I think you know would seem crazy but um I'm okay with that because I'm really like I don't want to take for granted what I have going right now yeah that is huge because I think that's another unfortunate uh byproduct of the human mind is okay what's next in the same way that you kind of get used to problems you Mm -hmm. also get used to things that are awesome right 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 (laughs) exactly and so I think it's staying uh you know grounded and humble and and realizing like yeah this has all worked out really well but that doesn't mean that you can start working less hard or you know what I mean just start looking at the next thing it's really like let's dive fully into what I'm doing right now and do the very best that I can and continue managing this stuff and then you know, we'll look forward eventually here once we figure out what's going to happen with the world. Yeah, we'll see what forward is once we yeah. get through. It's, a, it's been a fun year for everybody, I think. <laughs> I almost just spit my coffee all over my blouse. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, everyone's had a different experience with it, but I think it's it's hard not to just kind of like giggle sometimes too. Like what? Yeah. Every, that that was pretty wild, man. Everything's like, made up, and this is everything's like, made up more than ever right now. Right, there's no way getting around it. Yeah. It's looking at us all in the face, and we all have to blink and go, "Yep, this is how things are." This is we all for some reason agreed that this is how we act now. For some reason, yeah, for some reason, exactly. And so here we are, and you know, some things we unfortunately can't change. So you just kind of have to roll with the punches and see where you land. I think there's no better way to end the episode than that right there. (laughs) I really appreciate you coming in. This was a blast. So much fun. I appreciate it as well. I will end it like I end every other episode and say have a nice day.